Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Taitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adwaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gaur Bhakti Rindiki Jai Shri Radha Krishna Gaur Gopinath Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Ki Jai Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai Navadvip Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai Gangamaya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai Samaveta Bhakti Rindiki Jai Gaur Premananda All glories to the assembled devotees all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Sri Mati Bhakti Vinata Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Goravani Pachani Nivasesa Sanivani Paskatiade Satani. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uta Padakamalam Sri Guru and Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Ravinatam Vitam Stam Sajivam. Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Paditana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakam Vitamstha Vanchakapa Tripistha Keep us in the Vyavata Pritanam Pavane Vyavashnamid in the morning Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya May 6, 2015 in New Vrindavan, West Virginia and the verse I was given for today is Canto 11, Chapter 3, Liberation from the Illusory Energy Text 30 hmm. Just looking at the verse, what verse does this remind you of? Prasparam Kata Tushtir. What famous Bhagavad Gita verse has those words in it? Yes. Machtita Madgata Pranam. Do we all know this? Can we say it together? Machtita Madgata Pranam. Borayantas Prasparam. Katayantas Jamam Tushanti Charamanticham. This verse today is saying essentially the same thing as that. Paraspara nukatanam Pavanam Bhagavad Yashaha Mitoratir Mitastustir Nivratir Mitatmana Please chant.
Paraspara, mutual, Anukatanam, discussion, Pavanam, purifying, Bhagavat, of the Supreme Lord, Yashaha, glories, Mittaha, mutual, Ratihi, loving attraction, Mittaha, mutual, Tushtihi, satisfaction, Nivrittihi, cessation of material miseries, Mittaha, mutual, Atmanaha, of the soul. As we read the translation, if you can think of another verse in the Bhagavatam, to which this verse is very similar. Translation. One should learn how to associate with the devotees of the Lord by gathering with them to chant the glories of the Lord. This process is most purifying. As devotees thus develop their loving friendship, they feel mutual happiness and satisfaction. And by thus encouraging one another, they are able to give up material sense gratification, which is the cause of all suffering. So we already said this is very much like Bhagavad Gita, chapter 10, text 9, much to tell Madhukata Pranam. And what other Bhagavatam verse does this remind us of? Yes, okay. Something about association with devotees, very, very famous verse. Is it spoken by Lord Kapila? Satam prasango mamavirya samdo bhavanti vidkarana rasayanam kata tadyoshanavat bhapavargavarjmani shraddha ratir bhakti anu kamishtati. We have this word ratir again. And then getting rid of the unwanted things and getting the positive things by the association of devotees. So this verse has a lot in common with uh, Bhagavad Gita 10.9 and Bhagavatam 3.25.25. Purport. According to Srila Sridhar Swami, those who are advanced in Krishna consciousness should not envy one another or quarrel among themselves. Giving up all such mundane feelings, they should gather together and chant the glories of the Supreme Lord for mutual purification. Srila Vishnu Chakravati Thakur has pointed out that glorification of the Supreme Lord is especially potent when performed in the association of pure devotees. When devotees engage in Sankirtana, chanting the glories of the Lord together, they experience the highest transcendental bliss and satisfaction. Thus, they encourage one another to give up material sense gratification, which is based on illicit sexual connections with women. I have no idea why Rudananda Marsh added, with women, because that's not there in, in the Acharyas. You know, just to give up illicit sexual connections would be sufficient. Otherwise, it, it sounds like it's written only for men. A note from this lady speaker. One devotee will say to another, Oh, you have given up sense gratification. Starting today, I shall also give it up. One should learn to increase one's love for the devotees, to satisfy them, and to give up sense objects unfavorable to serving Krishna. And one should learn to view the entire universe as paraphernalia for the Lord's service. By engaging the objects of the senses in Krishna's service, one automatically becomes detached from them. And as one passes one's days in the association of the Lord's devotees, one's transcendental ecstasy increases more and more through discussions about the topics of Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita. Therefore, one who wants to be free from the harassment of Maya in the form of sense gratification must constantly associate with pure devotees of the Lord who have no engagement other than chanting and hearing the glories of the Lord and carrying out his mission on earth. Srila has pointed out that just as one should cultivate friendship with devotees, one must cultivate a spirit of friendship toward the demigods who manage the universe on the Lord's behalf. Thus one should live peacefully within this world. And there was a similar point by Madhvacharya in the verse we read yesterday. Paraspara na nu katanam pavanam bhagavadyasaha mitto ratir mitastustir nukrita mitta one should learn how to associate with the devotees of the Lord by gathering with them to chant the glories of the Lord. This process is most purifying. As devotees thus develop their loving friendship, they feel mutual happiness and satisfaction. 
and by thus encouraging one another, they are able to give up material sense gratification, which is the cause of all suffering. So there are four reasons why people take up spiritual life, as Krishna gives in the Bhagavad Gita. What are those four reasons? Distressed. Distressed. In need of money or wanting material happiness. Uh, Artha, money is symbolic for wanting material prosperity and they're curious and yeah they're already jnanis they already realized Brahman and now they want to go further so they already realized Brahman and now they want to go further we run into that sometimes occasionally I meet people who are already Brahman realized and want to go further most people are in the other three categories they want relief from distress they want material happiness uh, or they're just curious. You know, is there a God? Who am I? What's the purpose of life? And so forth and so on. So here, uh, we find that at least two of those things can be achieved just by the association of devotees. By the association of devotees. One can become unlimitedly happy and satisfied. And one can be freed from all distress. So, a simple thing. Uh, we're always looking for some simple solution Right? The materialistic people, they advertise if you just buy this toothpaste, you'll become happy. Right? <laughs> you just get this kind of car insurance and you'll become happy or something like that. You know? I remember when I was first visiting Trinidad and, and uh, Tobago. So, so many of the devotees there said, we really want to go to New York. If only we could go to New York, then we would be happy. And I said, well, you know, I'm from New York and in New York there's signs up everywhere, go visit the Caribbean and be happy. <laughs> So people are thinking they're going to be happy, you know, one way or another. If I get married, I'll be happy. If I could get unmarried, then I'll be happy. You know, if I could have kids, I'll be happy. If my kids grow up, then I'll be happy. (laughs) If I get a job, I'll be happy. If I retire, then I'll be happy. If I go to New York, I'll be happy. If I leave New York, I'll be happy. So we're always looking for, you know, something that's going to make us happy. But here, this is what's actually going to make us happy. Such a simple thing, just to associate with the devotees. And even as we said yesterday, sadhu sangha, sadhu sangha, sarva shastra koi. Lava mantra, sadhu sangha, sarva, sarva siddhi hoya. One will get all perfection with just an eleventh of a second. So what is there in this world that eleventh of a second of it will give you, as Krishna explains in the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, boundless transcendental happiness. Unlimited transcendental happiness realized through transcendental senses. Whereas materially, you can go on and on and on with many elevenths of seconds and many seconds and many minutes and many hours and many lifetimes and you still don't become unlimitedly happy. Has anyone here found unlimited happiness in material sense gratification? No. Some. There's some. But not unlimited. And then also we can become free from distress. So how many things are people doing to become free from distress? Right? They're exercising, they're taking different sorts of vitamins and minerals and pills and having special diets. And What else are they doing to become free from distress? Trying to get rid of the nasty people in their lives. That's a big one. Uh, moving away from an inhospitable climate. Here we talk about the demigods. So all these things, what else do people do to become free from distress? Well, they try to cultivate good qualities. They try to become forgiving and equipoised and compassionate and so forth to become free from distress. They get, okay, they, they try to increase their knowledge, get a new degree, get rid of Take drugs to get rid of their distress. Yes, that's a big one nowadays. So there's, you know, chemical intoxicants, and nowadays we also have um, electrical intoxicants. Yes? Shh, you're talking about materialists. Oh, shopping. They go shopping. Yes, that's a big one. In fact, the Bhagavatam says that the materialistic people, they're engaged all day in, in making money or spending it. Right? In night, in sleeping, in sex, and in daytime, in, in making money and spending it. Let's go shopping. Let's buy more and more things to relieve my distress. People sometimes gamble to relieve their distress. Okay. Partying to relieve their distress. Or keeping very busy. Keeping very busy is another one. Right, just keeping so busy that you forget about all your distress. Trying to make other people distressed as well. Trying to make other people distressed. So, so we try to relieve our distress by making other people distressed. Yes, that's actually quite a big one. 
frankly. Go online. What? Go online. Go online. Well, that's the electrical intoxicant. So, <laughs> that's the entire, it's not chemical, it's electrical. So. Yeah. Uh, but here we have the real key to becoming free of distress. How does one get cessation nivriti, the cessation of material miseries? So we may be surprised to learn that all of our material suffering is due to envy. Because it is envy that pushes us to engage in the sinful activities that lead to suffering. If we were just satisfied, then we wouldn't engage in sinful activities that lead to suffering. Does that make sense to everybody? If I was just satisfied with whatever I got by the grace of God, and I didn't envy what anybody else had, I wasn't trying to take it away from them, then I wouldn't engage in things outside of pious activities. Satisfaction means I do honest work according to my nature, whatever I get, I'm happy with. And envy means I'm not satisfied with that. I want something that's not due to me, and therefore I engage in something sinful to get it. I can't get it piously, okay, I'll get it sinfully. Or envy also means, well, if I can't get it, at least you won't have it. You know, so nobody will have it. So I, I take it away from you, which also involves some sinful activities. And therefore, Narada Muni told Dhruva Maharaj in the fourth canto that the way to get free from all miseries is just how you treat, how you treat others. He says, if you treat superiors with respect and service, you treat equals with friendship, and you treat juniors by helping them come up, you'll be free of all the material miseries. Interesting. Narada Muni said this to Dhruva Maharaj. That was very interesting. All right, so what's the secret that if you do it right, even for an eleventh of a second, one will get unlimited spiritual happiness and be free of the core of all material miseries? That'd be interesting, right? Just imagine, I mean, if, if we could really convince, well, first of all, ourselves, and then others of this. I mean, people are buying toothpaste and car insurance thinking that it will achieve this. Uh, going to Tahiti or something. So, well, how does this work this way? Hmm. So we can think, we're going to look at the, the benefits of associating with devotees, and then we're going to look at how to associate with devotees, how not to associate devotees with devotees, and why we should not associate with materialistic people. Okay? Benefits, how to do it, how not to do it, and about materialistic people. So some of the benefits of associating with devotees. And I think we had this seminar in um, Gainesville. Didn't we fellowship with devotees? Yeah, I think so. So we discussed a lot of them then. I wanted to make sure I didn't just do a repeat of that today when I looked at the verse. But we could talk about it a little bit and see if we remember anything. So what are some of the benefits of association with devotees? take on their qualities. And that we tend to take on the qualities of people when there's love, by the way. Um, well, what benefit do we get? That's what we do. We serve them. But what, what benefits do we get? Yes? We hear more about Krishna. Hmm, so what? How is that a benefit? What? Makes you happy to hear about Krishna because Krishna is concentrated bliss. You become purified. Okay, we become purified. This, these are some of the evidence procedures because I get asked a lot, how do we know we're pleasing Krishna? And these are some of our evidence procedures. You start becoming purified. You start becoming... You start becoming happy. So we become like them because we're trying to please them. We naturally mold our character according to the people we're trying to please. What other benefits do we get from associating with the devotees? Yes? Inspiration and encouragement. Inspiration and encouragement. Inspiration and encouragement. And I'd say there's, there's several categories of this inspiration and encouragement. I mean, I was just uh, having some correspondence the other day with a devotee who did something wrong, and because he did something wrong, he was asked by the ISKCON authorities, uh, you're not allowed to do many services in any ISKCON temples for the next three years. And so he was feeling a little discouraged. 
understandably. And I said to him, well, why don't you think of such and such devotee? He was in a similar situation. He also did something wrong. And he also didn't, you know, have the ability to serve in his kind for so long. Uh, but he still found ways of serving Krishna and ways of being enlivened in his Krishna consciousness so that when he came back, that he was actually more advanced and more faithful and more humble. And he said, yeah, that was a really good idea. You know, we may be going through so many difficulties in our lives, but when we look at devotees and we see, oh, this devotee has dealt with this difficulty, whether it's, in this case, you know, some uh, reaction for some sinful activity or some disease or some upheaval in one's life. You know, look at somebody else who went through it and see how they took shelter of Krishna, how they took shelter of Srila Prabhupada, how they became more devoted in their service. And this way we become very inspired. And I think in this way we also deal with our fears because we have a lot of fears. Well, what if this happens to me? What if this happens to me? What if this happens to me? What will I do? What will I do? They say the biggest fear among people in general is that they will run out of money before they run out of life. <laughs> you know? And we have all these fears. Suppose I surrender to Krishna and he deals with me very harshly. What will I do? See some devotee who's gone through that and see how they become more faithful and more enlivened and more blissful. You know, and I can think of so many devotees like that. They went through so many things in their lives in various ways, but they responded to them Appropriately, Their response was Shastra. Their response was Krishna conscious. Maybe not in the first five minutes, by the way. You know, I mean, I met one devotee where she went through a real life crisis and her initial response was not very good. But she pulled herself together and she said, okay, I'm just going to totally immerse myself in the Shastra. And you see her now and she's just bright and effulgent and happy. And she says, I'm just perfectly situated. So we get inspiration like that. Uh, we get inspiration for detachment from mayas, as, as explained. Here, we see people who voluntarily given up all kinds of things, and still they're happy. As we see devotees who live very, very simply, without practically any of the accoutrements that are considered necessary in modern society, and still they're happy. Uh, one time when I was uh, talking with Radhanath Maharaj in Chalpati, Somebody came in and asked if he could get Maharaj some more furniture for his room. And he said, don't take away my wealth. <laughs> you know, you're somebody with, with nothing. Uh, but he's very, very happy. He's very, very happy. We see devotees again like that. And they give us great inspiration that I don't need all of these things for my happiness. In fact, I may be happier without it. And even on the higher levels of bhakti, we talked about this in Gainesville, the association of devotees is essential for inspiration for serving Krishna in the higher realms of bhakti. So the main thing that differentiates Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti from Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti, they're both sadhanas, but what's the main difference in the practice of Vaidhi Sadhana and Raganuga Sadhana is that in Raganuga Sadhana, once one has awakened, once naturally awakened, it cannot be done artificially, when one's particular affiliation with Krishna, one's particular affection with Krishna has awakened, that I really want to love Krishna as a lover, as a parent, or as a friend, or as a servant, then one takes some devotee who's in that mood and meditates on that devotee in addition to Krishna. And Prabhupada very nicely explains this in many places, among them uh, Bhagavatam 10, I think it's 9.3, where he talks about how Madhya Soda is churning the butter for Krishna and she's perspiring and the flowers are falling out of her hair. And Prabhupada says, one who wants to love Krishna in this maternal mood should meditate not only on Krishna, but on Madhya Soda's love for Krishna. And this is one of the five components of rasa. So in order to have, sometimes we use the word rasa very loosely just to mean the staibhav or one's essential relationship with Krishna. Someone has a parental rasa. But the parental feeling is just one of the five elements of rasa. It's nicely explained in the nectar of devotion. Uh, one is that feeling of parental, the staibab, the continuous ecstasy, as Prabhupada translates it. And then another one is the vibab. Vibab, Prabhupada calls in the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, the context and the cause of one's feeling for Krishna. And the context, which in Sanskrit is called the alambana, has two divisions in Sanskrit called the Vishaya and the Ashraya. 
Any of you know what vishaya means? Well, it actually means like the enjoyer. The enjoyer. So who is the vishaya? Krishna. And ashraya means the? What is ashraya? Shelter. So the devotee is the ashraya. So if, you, if your mood has awakened towards Krishna in maternal love, Krishna is the vishaya, he's your object of your love, and Mother Yasoda, Mother Rohini, etc., become the ashraya. Everybody follow that? Right? If you want to love Krishna in, in uh, friendship, then Krishna is the vishaya, and people like, who would be your ashraya in Sakya love? Hmm? The coward boys, like who? Madhu Mangal, who else? Subal, Arjuna, the cowherd boy Arjuna, or even Dwarka would be Arjuna of the Pandavas, Sridam, Ujwala, etc. And in Dasya, in Vrindavan Dasya, who are the Ashraya? Patrak and Raktak and Patri. And uh, of course in Kanjabala, who's the Ashraya? Shimati Radharani, who else? Lalita, Vishaka. Rupa Manjari, Rati Manjari, etc. And that is that the higher realms of bhakti, one meditates on Krishna and the devotee. And without meditating on Krishna and the specific devotee, you do not advance. That is, that is the practice of Raghunuga Sadhana Bhakti. That one meditates on Krishna with that particular devotee according to one's attraction. So there's inspiration at the beginning. There's inspiration at, in all stages. right? And also we please Krishna by pleasing the devotee. So this is a, a very simple principle. If someone has a child and you're mean to the child, they won't like you. Very simple thing. And if you're nice to the child, they'll like you. So as a Gurukul teacher, this was really a challenge because sometimes children need to be corrected. And sometimes you need to tell the parents that their child did something wrong. But it was always very risky because as soon as you say to the parent, your child is misbehaving, you may become their enemy. No, it's, very, it's a very touchy thing. You know, as long as you can go to the parents and say, your child is, you know, God's gift to the world, and <laughs> then they love you. But if, if you have to say your child failed their spelling test and they haven't been getting their homework done and, you know, they were bullying one of the other children or something, then the parents, instead of helping you to solve the problems, may hate you. So with this basic principle, love me, love my dog, as Prabhupada says. So Krishna is uh, much more... Uh, upset when we offend the devotees than when we offend him, and he's much more pleased when we offend when we please the devotees. And then cooperation. Krishna is very pleased with cooperation. Any of us who ever manage anything, when the people that are our employees or our subordinates, when they're cooperating, it's so nice, and when they're fighting, it's not so nice. Or if any of you are parents with more than one child, if your children are playing nicely together, you become very happy. And if they're not playing nicely together, you become very unhappy. Uh, so this is also uh, Krishna's pleasure. And the devotees are an example for us. We read in the Shastra, you know, surrender to Krishna, serve Krishna, please Krishna. What does that mean? How, how do I do it? And then we look at the example of the devotee. Here's an example in the Shastra. Here's how Prahlad Maharaj did it. Here's how King Prataparudra did it. Or here's how, you know, Krishna Das, Krishna Dasi in New Vrindavan does it. And therefore you have an example and we see that the devotees are really an inspiration, like we say, at every stage. How do you get faith? You get faith from the devotees. Next stage, Sadhu Sangha is with the devotees. How do you learn about Bhajana Kriya from the devotees? And you get initiated by a devotee. Devotees are really helpful for an Vritti if you let them be so. <laughs> if you let them be so. So if some devotee comes up to you and says, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but I've noticed that you have this particular problem so if you allow that to happen, devotees are very helpful with an Arjuna Devotees are very helpful in nista, to have one's faith steadier and steadier. And here we're finding in ruchi to relish these tastes. And in sakti, to become attached to Krishna. And then in bhava, to enter into the Lord's pastimes together. And what you speak of in prema, actually, uh, to enter into the spiritual world, as stated in Ananda Vrindavan Temple, I believe it is, how the devotees go singly or in groups to the spiritual world. So particularly looking at this, at the, some of the higher stages here, Nista, Ruchi, Ashakti, but this is, of course, applicable also in the lower stages, because it's mentioned here 
in the verse which the board has disappeared. Uh, rati is in this. Uh, so mito rati, mito tushti. And of course, in, in the Madhita, Madhita Pranam, we have tushyanti cha, ramanti cha, again. So looking at Bhavadevijabhushan's purport to Bhagavad Gita 10.9, he mentions a number of ways in which the devotees really help each other to come to these higher stages of bhakti. And he says that when you're with the devotees, you feel like you can't live without that talking and hearing about Krishna like a fish can't live without water. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I I need to get with the devotees and, and just talk about Krishna. And he says that the devotees reveal to each other Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes, and beauty. Then he says that one feels an ocean of affection for the devotees because the devotees are talking about Krishna's extremely variegated pastimes. And they engage one in worship in the form of remembering, hearing, and chanting. And one will feel so satisfied as if one is drinking nectar. And then Baladev Vijibhushan talks about this Ramanticha, which Hila Prabhupada also mentions in his purport to Bhagavad Gita 10.9. He says that one will enjoy this association of devotees talking about Krishna. He says, like a young boy enjoys the smiling glances of a young girl. So in other words, it's, become, it's very natural. Right? It's very natural. Oh, what's that verse? Oh, I say it every day and I can't remember it. What is that verse that let me become attracted to you like a young boy is attracted to a young girl? Anybody remember the Sanskrit? So, just like a young boy and a young girl, they're naturally, Prabhupada says, you don't have to teach them. You don't have to give any instruction to young boys and young girls. Now listen, when you get to be 12 and 13, make sure you start becoming attracted. <laughs> and become attracted like this, and look at this, and think about this. It just happens, right? Isn't it? It just happens. It just happens naturally. Even if you don't understand what's happening. I, I don't know if I should say this. But anyway, when I was about 13, I think, all of a sudden I started curling my hair. And if anybody had said to me, you're doing this to attract the boy, I would have said, no, I'm not. But it just happens naturally, you follow? Except for the children here, they don't know what I'm talking about, thankfully. But in the same way, when we associate with the devotees, then our natural love for Krishna arises. It just comes very spontaneous and naturally, and it's full of this pleasure. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, first of all, it should be obvious. Um, Bhagavad Yashaha, in today's verse, we talk about Krishna with the devotees. What a radical idea. So I find many times in the Krishna consciousness movement, we feel hesitant to be Krishna conscious with the devotees. Somehow we're so afraid of being sahajas that we just can't talk about Krishna. So my dear friends, Let's talk about Krishna. And, and one of the reasons I love doing a nursery school is that I could just talk about Krishna without fear of anybody criticizing me. Right? Like I was uh, visiting, where was I visiting? Oh, North Carolina. I was visiting the school, and they asked me to tell the children a story. You know, so I opened up the old, old Agasura book. Right? And we were just telling the story. The cowherd boys are playing their flute, and everybody's going, do 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 and they're blowing their buffalo horn. Ooh. And then, you know, they're walking through the forest. And then we went, uh-oh, there's Agasura. We were singing all these songs about Krishna. It was so sweet. It was so sweet. Many times I think devotees think that children are just a burden and just put them in the school to get rid of them so we could do some other service. But the sweetest service in the Hare Krishna movement, absolutely sweetest, is doing the nursery school. And you can just talk to the children about Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes for hours and hours and hours, and they're simply appreciative. But we should do this more with each other. Obviously, we're not going to go to the adults and go, do 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 But we can certainly talk about, this is what I read in Srila Prabhupada's books. Here's my realization of this. You know. and, and Prabhupada said, like, the children should play as if Krishna was with them. They should actually play as if Krishna was right with them. 
And it's interesting, Krishna Kshetra Maharaj has produced three books like this. I don't know if any of you have seen them. They're called Krishna Smarinam, Ram Smarinam, and Gora Smarinam, where the devotees get into the mood as if they're in the pastimes. And they, they write monologues as to what the persons in the pastimes are thinking and feeling. So this is really the kind of association with devotees that we want. We want to talk about how to spread the movement of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We want to talk about our, plan, our preaching plans. We want to talk about the philosophy of Krishna. We want to talk about the name, form, qualities, and pastimes of Krishna. And this should be our association with each other. And then our advancement will be very, 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 very rapid. And then we'll feel, frankly, as if we're already in the spiritual world. So I know in my life I'm, I'm very, I feel very fortunate that I have at least some devotees with whom I have this kind of relationship. Or we just talk about Krishna. We don't talk about basically anything else. You know, or very minor, you know, very, very minor and brief about anything else. Oh, you know, I'm sorry I haven't talked to you for a couple days. My baby was sick. And then right into Krishna Kutta. So this, is, this should be what we're doing, not just on a retreat, not just at the Festival of Inspiration, not just at the Sadhu Sangha retreat, and the rest of the time our association is mundane. And of course we should also deal with each other, and I'm going to talk about this today extremely briefly, in the six loving exchanges. So we should be exchanging food, gifts, and confidences. And when we give, it should be to benefit the others. Give somebody food that, will, that they like and that's healthy for them, uh, give them gifts that they like and they will be able to use in their life. And tell them things that will benefit them. Revealing one's mind in confidence doesn't mean I dump all the garbage in my mind in your lap. Uh, and I'm using you for my benefit. It, it means that I'm telling you things, even if I have to come to you with a problem, I'm, I'm telling you things in a way that will benefit you. And we should receive these with love for the giver. We should receive them in a way that benefits the giver. So these exchanges as giving happiness to the other, giving out of happiness to the other, receiving out of happiness to the other. This is the mood in the spiritual world. The mood in the spiritual world is everyone takes happiness at everyone else's happiness. Just imagine that for a minute. If the way I felt happy was by seeing all of you happy, and the way you felt happy was by seeing everybody happy, and the way you felt happy was by seeing everybody happy, and the way you felt... If every single one of us here felt our happiness in seeing everybody else happy, would anybody have to worry about their own happiness? No. And would all of us be happy? Yes. So that's the spiritual world. And in the material world, it's just the opposite. In the material world, I associate with you for my happiness. I'm dealing with you, trying to see how can my dealing with you make me happy. And, you know, unfortunately we have to admit that most of us conditioned souls become happy when someone else is suffering. You know, and we've seen this. I have to say, even in our Hare Krishna movement, you know, this envy doesn't become eradicated just by walking in the door and putting on a dhoti or sorry. You know, so that we become happy at others' unhappiness. And we become unhappy at others' happiness. So this is how we should not associate with the devotees. We should not associate with the devotees, like Bhaktisiddhanta gives the example of envy. You know, oh, my childhood friends become a high court judge, oh, I don't believe it. No, I saw him, he's sitting on the bench. Oh, well, then he must not be drawing a salary. And people say, oh, so-and-so is advanced in devotionals, oh, I don't believe it. I knew him when he was Bhakta Jerry, you know. No question. No, really, he's advanced. Oh, he must be making a show. <laughs> oh, that devotee? Yeah, he said something nasty about me and now he's falling down. I mean, I remember once, very long time ago, when the president was saying, you know, anyone who moves off the property, they're going to have spiritual just see, he moved off the property and he had spiritual trouble. <laughs> we should not associate with that. We shouldn't associate with that. You know. Well, let me write something and publish it about all of this person's faults. Hard, Krishna. Oh, yes, they have so many good qualities, but they have this fault. What about that fault? What about that fault? 
And Bhaktivinoda says it was said we should see we should feel joy upon seeing a Vaishnava. Not that we see another Vaishnava and all we see is, ah, oh, that Vaishnava, I remember him. <laughs> she said something nasty to me 25 years ago. <laughs> so that's not how we should associate with devotees. Or getting together with devotees, you know, and there was this politics and this problem and that problem. I mean, sometimes we may have to do that for the sake of managing it, but that shouldn't be the main thing that we're, that we're doing. And that's not really, I'm sorry to say, but that isn't really association with devotees. That isn't, that isn't really what association with devotees is. Just because I'm theoretically a devotee and you're a devotee, if we get together and associate in ways that just increase our material miseries and damage our happiness, you know, then we're not following this. Now, also, although it isn't specifically mentioned in this verse in purport, generally whenever the association of devotees is discussed, it's also discussed with whom one should not associate. And we were uh, talking yesterday that Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu defined the devotee as asat sangatiyaga, someone who gives up the association of people who are materialistic. Now, we can't do that entirely as a preaching movement. It wouldn't be appropriate. We're not, you know, some kind of Christian monk who lives on a mountain in Greece and has a hole in the bottom of our Monastery through which we raise and lower a bucket to get things from the outside world. That's not our Krishna consciousness movement. You know, nor are we, there's another group of monks, what country are they in? I can't remember. Also in Europe. Where they take a vow of silence one day a week for three hours. They go outside the monastery and talk and play games. And they don't, they don't talk to even the other monks, what to speak of the people in general. So it's impossible for us to avoid association with materialistic people. And of course, if our own mind is a materialistic person, that becomes uh, pretty difficult as well. Uh, but so what does it mean that asat sangatiyaga, a Vaishnavachara? It means, Bhaktivinoda Thakur explains so nicely in his Bhakti Loka, that we don't become intimate with the non-devotees. Even with the devotees, our degree of intimacy should vary according to our position and their position. You know, if someone's a beginner in Krishna consciousness, I don't reveal to them high esoteric truths, even though they're truths and they're in the Shastra, because it would, they would cause them to be offensive. Right? So I'm going to relate differently, have different kinds and degrees of intimacy with various persons according to my level of realization and their level of realization and my relationship with them. So with materialistic persons, I should not reveal my intimate heart. And I should not get into a relationship with them where I'm trying to please them. In fact, even with the devotees, this is a very difficult principle and people always argue with me when I bring it up, but even with the devotees, we should not be trying to please the devotees independently of pleasing Krishna. So this is a danger with the non-devotees, but frankly it's also even a danger with the devotees. As soon as we have a relationship with anybody independent of Krishna, we are in trouble. Therefore, Queen Kunti says, please sever my tie of affection for the Vishnis and the Pandavas. And she says, may my, may my attraction for you flow just like the Ganges to the sea without being diverted to anyone else. So with all of these instructions about association with devotees being absolutely essential at every single stage of devotional service, then what does it mean? So if we can understand this with the non-devotees, I think we can understand it clearly with the non-devotees, and then we can apply this principle with the devotees. So when I'm associating with a non-devotee, I shouldn't be trying to please them. I should be trying to please Krishna. How can I deal with this person who's not a devotee so that Krishna will be happy with me? Well, then I'm going to deal with this person with respect, yes, well, Krishna want me to be disrespectful? We just read yesterday that Kanista Adhikaris, they have no respect for people in general. Prabhupada said we should see all living entities as our prabhus. All living entities. How may I serve you? I like to give the example where Prabhupada had a little bug in his room and he called his servant and said, this bug has been here for a long time and there's nothing for him to eat here. Would you please take him outside so he can have something to eat? Prabhupada's being the servant of the bug. That's what you do with a master. You make sure your master has something to eat, correct? Prabhupada was serving the bug. 
Make sure you get some food. So we should try to be, to be serving all living entities. See ourselves as a servant of all living entities. Respect for all living entities. See every living entity's body as a temple of the Lord. Offer respect to every living entity because they are, they are housing the Supreme Personality of God. And Jivaraswarapaya Krishna Aranyachadasa, they are a servant of Krishna. But the second I try to please somebody independently of Krishna, it's all kinds of trouble. Prabhupada says, neither you will be satisfied nor they will be satisfied. And we see, we can spend our whole life serving our mother, our father, our sister, our brother, our husband, our wife, our child, our country, our employee, our employer. And they're not satisfied, yes? Prabhupada loves to give the example of Gandhi, who served his country for his whole life. But one of his countrymen was so dissatisfied that he killed him. So we should serve the non-devotees to please Krishna. Very simple principle. Just like we've all had the experience that I'm talking to this person, but I'm really trying to impress somebody else. Have you all done that? You're dealing with one person, but you're not really caring about that person in a sense. You're really trying to impress somebody else. It should be like that. Our dealings with a non-devotee should be, Krishna is watching? Is Krishna watching? Is he listening? Am I dealing with this non-devotee so Krishna will smile? Now the same thing is there in dealing with the devotees. In dealing with the devotees to please Krishna. As soon as we try to deal with the devotees independently of Krishna, we will not be happy with our relationship with the devotees. If we find that in our dealing with devotees we become disappointed, angry, bitter, frustrated, that means that we were dealing with them improperly. That's your evidence, that's your symptom. It's like you go to a doctor and you have symptoms. So if you're giving, 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 serving, 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 loving, loving, loving the devotees, and the result of that is instead of feeling unlimited transcendental bliss through transcendental senses and mitigation of the material distress and mitigation of the desire for sense gratification, instead of that, if you just feel angry and frustrated and bitter and I serve these devotees and I serve the institution and I serve this temple and I serve this and I Have we met people like this? Maybe sometimes we've been that person? So if, if that's been our response to serving the devotees, we tend to think the problem is the devotee I'm serving. Or the problem is the institution. Whatever the institution is, I haven't quite figured that out. As far as I know, I'm also the institution. You know, or the problem is the leaders of the institution, the poor leaders of the institution. I think when you become a GBC member, Malati, they gave you your free T-shirt with a target on the back, right? It comes as soon as you become a GBC member, you get a free T-shirt with a target. She doesn't want to talk. Because somehow the, those persons represent all the frustrations that one has had within the institution. So if a person feels like that, it means it's not exactly the fault of the other person, although they may be at fault. They may be at fault. It may, do, it may be that they've done some fault. But the reason we feel like that is not due to any faults they may or may not have. It's that we serve them incorrectly. We serve them thinking that they were Krishna. We serve them thinking that they were going to satisfy all of my desires like Krishna. But only Krishna is Krishna. Prabhupada said, the guru never says, I am your friend. He said, the guru says, Krishna is your friend. He says, the guru is your friend in this sense that he gives you Krishna. So when we say the devotees are the ashraya, the devotees are the shelter where I find my love for Krishna. The devotees are not an independent shelter. Just like here Madhvacharya says one should respect the demigods, but we're told over and over again not to worship the demigods separately or independently from Krishna. They don't like it either. And none of us would like it. If someone deals with us like that, if, if anyone came to us and said, Oh, Janaka Janani Daita Tanai Prabhu Guru Patituhu Sarvamai. Oh, you are my father. You are my mother. You are my husband. You are my lover. You are my child. You are my brother. You are my teacher. You are everything to me. What would you do if someone said that to you? Walk away. Walk away or run away. <laughs> Excuse me. I can't be that for you. 
So we should not put those sort of expectations on another jiva. That doesn't please the other jiva, it certainly doesn't please Krishna, and it is not Krishna-centered. In fact, it is putting those sort of expectations on other jivas that is a lot of the source of the misery in this world. In this world, relationships mean either I'm going to try to be Krishna for you, or I want you to be Krishna for me. And my dear friends, it doesn't work, because we're little jivas. I cannot be Krishna for you. There is no way I can be Krishna for you. And there's no way that any of you can be Krishna for me. Only Krishna is Krishna. And even a liberated soul cannot be Krishna. In fact, the liberated souls get very distressed when someone tries to deal with them as if they were Krishna. Right? When Gopal Kumar sees the doorkeepers and says, Vishnu, Vishnu, they go, no, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. So this is the way that we should associate with both the non-devotees and the devotees. How will I associate with them so that Krishna will be pleased? Sometimes with the non-devotees it means staying away from them. Sometimes with them it means giving them whatever amount and kind of Krishna consciousness they can take. With the devotees it means entering as deeply and intimately into Krishna Pita as our relationships will allow so the more we do this, the more this will be the international, what? Society. I think that we have done a pretty good job in the last 49 years of ikan. I really do. I, I, think, we, I think we can really pat ourselves on the back for, for ikan. That, that's gone really well. I, there's one gentleman I'm regularly corresponding with who's kind of new to Krishna consciousness, and he said, has Krishna consciousness spread all over the world? I said, oh, yeah. I said, practically every town and village, somebody's chanting Hare Krishna. He said, what about the Middle Eastern countries? I said, oh, yeah. I said, I go there. There's thousands of people chanting Hare Krishna. Krishna is known all over the world. But I think we still have some work to do on the society. <laughs> I think we still have, still have a little bit of work on a Krishna-conscious society. So it may seem like, well, you know, what can I do? What can I do? Everybody else has to do it first, and then I'll jump on the bandwagon. I'll be one of the late adopters, you know. <laughs> but better, better that we take the initiative ourselves. And you know what's really interesting? If we associate properly with the devotees and all living entities, then no matter what's going on around us, we'll feel that we're in a society for Krishna consciousness. We're not actually dependent on everybody else getting it together. Isn't that interesting? If we get it together, just like Prabhupada says, one of my favorite quotes, Krishna book, chapter 20, he says, the materialists see the world as very aggressive, but to the devotees, everything is happily situated. So if, if each of us as an individual associates properly with all living entities, and especially with devotees, we will feel ourselves Ratir, ratir is love, tustir, satisfaction. Nivritir, our material attachments just going away. And we'll feel high in a society of, of pure devotees. And then if each of us did that, well, I think the world will be banging down our doors. At least if we can make a little step at least a little step each day as to how I can improve my association with devotees, how I can deal with them thinking of their happiness and their benefit, how I can bring more Krishna Kata into my association with them, and how I can deal with them to please Krishna. So questions, comments? We have just a couple minutes. Yes, Bruno. Um, I have a question about um, the bliss of Or the process of purification, I I have experienced pain. In other words, to give up anarthas, it's not it's might be blissful to be practicing Krishna but the process of giving up anarthas. The process of giving up anarthas doesn't seem very blissful. Well, there has to be some recognition first that the 
Yes. Uncomfortable feeling, and, uh, yes. So, how is that blissful? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that question. What a wonderful question. So I would refer you to Ravindasri Prabhu's outline if you go to the website So It Happens and click on Japa and read his outline. I think you will find there a much better answer than I can give, uh, but I'll give you a little answer. That... Getting rid of our inertas, yes, there's pain, but it's also great pleasure if it's done as part of our loving relationship with Krishna. If we try to let go of our inertas without that connection with Krishna, it's first of all painful and second of all not very effective. You th- you'll think you'll get rid of them and they'll come back. If, you, if you're dealing with an arjuna vritti actually in Krishna consciousness, The pain is connected with bliss, and they don't come back. And how I can give you an example, the example that I usually give of this is, um, and let's put ourselves as the offended party first, because I think it's easier uh, on the false ego if I do it first that way, and then I'll do it that we're the offenders. Is that all right? Can I do it that way? So it kind of will come in gradually, and it won't hurt too much for the false ego. We don't want to give you any pain. Okay, so when we're the offended party, have we all been offended at some point in our lives? Everybody? Okay. So why don't we you think of the time that you were the most offended? You know, think of an instance, the, the most grievous offense that anybody ever committed against you. Too many times. Too many times. Just think of one. But think of one with somebody that you want to have a relationship with, not like just some clerk at a store. But somebody that you want a relationship with, you don't, you don't want the relationship to be broken, or you didn't at the time. Maybe now it's already broken and like, all right, whatever. But at least at the time, you wanted the relationship to be there. You didn't want it broken. And the person was really, really offending you. Think of some situation like that. Now, what did you want from that person? You certainly wanted that person, as you said, so brilliantly to recognize that they've committed an offense. I really appreciate that because one of the main ways people avoid an Arjunavriti is denial. So we want the person who offended us to really see what they did wrong. We don't want them just to see the behavior. Hmm? Like I read once in a a book about apology where this woman had a very expensive uh, purse, very expensive handbag, a thousand dollar designer handbag. A friend was visiting her and uh, asked to borrow it. And then, when she gave it back, she didn't give it back. She gave back a copy. And when the owner of the purse went to have it repaired, the repair shop said, this is just a cheap copy. Then she said, she brought this to, her, to their friend's notice, and her friend said, well, I sold your original one for $500. I'll give you the $500. Did that mend the relationship? No, because the woman was looking at the behavior of stealing the purse, but she wasn't really looking at what she did wrong. What she did wrong was a betrayal of trust. Okay? What she did wrong was not exactly stealing the purse, but it was a betrayal of trust. So we want the person who's offended us to really see what they did wrong. Not, oh, I forgot to call you, but, you know, I put you in a situation where you were worried for 10 hours. And we want that person to feel our pain. Isn't this correct? We want them to feel our pain. Why? So that they will be in pain? No. Why do we want them to feel our pain? So they know it's like, so they won't do it again. Well, no, that would not be loving. That's punitive. I want you to feel my pain so you'll also suffer, and that suffering will cause you not to do it again. No, that's not exactly why. We want them to feel our pain. This is a person we love. We want a relationship. We know they really understand it. I mean, we want understanding. We're looking for what? Love. love. We're looking for a connection. We want them to feel our pain because that is the only way we are going to reconnect. If they don't feel our pain, they cannot reconnect. Is that true or not true? 
If they stay on the surface, if that person who offended us stays on the surface and just looks at their behavior and doesn't touch our distress, we do not reconnect. When they touch our distress, we reconnect. And reconnection is blissful. That is how you do a Narthanivriti in ecstasy. You do not look at the behavior. Okay, you look at the behavior, but it's not, the focus is not the behavior. The focus isn't even the ill motive that drove the behavior. I stole your purse because I was greedy. That's not even really what Krishna wants from us. Now, we can't exactly hurt Krishna. Although Prabhupada says that like if your finger hurts, you feel pain, and therefore if a living entity is rebellious, it's like Krishna's finger that he feels pain. But we can't exactly hurt Krishna. Who can we hurt? Ourselves. But we are part of Krishna. Therefore, when we hurt ourselves, Krishna is sorry. The Narjanavriti means that what you face is not the behavior, <coughs> not the lust, anger, envy, greed, illusion that drove the behavior. You face that, certainly, but that's not the main thing that you want to face. The main thing that you face in an Artanavritti is how that lust, anger, envy, greed, illusion, which led to this behavior, how that has hurt myself. How I am hurting myself. You feel, you actually feel how I am hurting myself and how Krishna cares about I'm hurting myself. So that is undoubtedly painful, but it is very sweet pain. It's like if you're sitting, the picture I have, you're sitting on a couch next to your best friend that you've offended. So now we're gonna go, I'm the offender. I've offended and I connect with their pain. And they put their arm around me and they say, it's okay. Now you're probably crying, but you're also very happy. Any anartha nivritti that is only painful is not anartha nivritti. It's a semblance, it's a reflection, it's a trick of maya. It's not real. Real anartha nivritti the pain very, very quickly, I mean, almost instantly, is connected with deep bliss. Because the pain you're feeling is that pain of connection. And connection is full of bliss. And therefore we see that the devotees relish humility. You know, we look at it from the outside and we say, huh? You're lower than the worm in stool and you're more sinful than Jaghai and Madai and anyone who says their, your name loses their pious activities? How is this part of unending transcendental bliss? We look at it and think it's quite unattractive. But when the devotees are saying these prayers of humility, you'll notice as part of their prayers, they're saying these things and then they go on and say, but Lord Nityananda has accepted me. But I'm in the service of Radha Madan Mohan. But I'm entering into Vrindavan. And it is that, that's the entrance into the higher stages of bhakti. Without going through this door, you can't enter into the higher stages of bhakti. There has to be some apology. There has to be a real deep apology. But the apology is in the context of connecting with Krishna. It's in the context of restoring a relationship. And frankly, it's only then that the real bliss of bhakti starts to awaken. Because before that point, one is just in this false confidence, according to Vishnu Chakravati Thakur. And when one thinks that one's a devotee very superficially, I chant my round, chant my Gayatri's, I go to Mangalarti, guy offered my food, and I don't turn on the TV, and I am a devotee. And I'm earning my way back to Godhead. Krishna is so happy with me with all the superficial external stuff that I'm doing and, you know, I'm ticking off all the right boxes and pretty soon I'm going to be a pure devotee. 
Probably tomorrow or in a week, I know I'm almost pure. I mean, there's some bliss. Uh, obviously, even in the beginning, Krishna seems to give a free sample, especially in the introductory offer. But he really wants to taste the bliss of Krishna. You've got to go down that road. And for a materialistic person, that road seems terrifying. A conditioned soul looks at an art in Nivriti and just sees dragons and, you know, pits of fire and spikes and pain and suffering and just goes, I ain't going there. <laughs> Just, just like, just like, you know. Sometimes when we, when it really hits us, how we've offended somebody, and we really like, whoa, I really messed up, and we can feel afraid to apologize. You know, materially, there's some justification for that because sometimes materially, when you apologize, the person who you offended takes it as an opportunity to kick you even further. I'm sure we've had these people in our lives that we say, "Oh, I'm really sorry." Well, now that you're saying you're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me bring up everything you've ever done wrong and kick you in the face, you scumbag. I'm so glad you've admitted that you're a scumbag. I was waiting for you to admit that you were a scumbag, and now I'm going to put it on the internet. You have admitted that you are a scumbag. Uh, but Krishna's not like that. We don't have to, we don't have to worry. Isn't that what we're afraid of? That's what we're afraid of. So we're afraid of several things. We're afraid of that. We're afraid that I won't be able to maintain my pride, that I'm the most wonderful living entity that's ever, you know, existed in the whole history of the universe. <laughs> and frankly, we're also afraid of connection. Frankly. Because in connection, you lose yourself. In connection, you go mad with love, so we're afraid of connection. I'm so sorry. I've already gone over time, and I, I don't want to be not invited back. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Sadhu Sangha Ki Jai. Oh, you saw Oh, yes, you did show me. I was just wondering, I was saying that somebody told me.